so hopefully you will show grace and I will not, um, you know, make huge mistakes or anything. But at any rate, Gary has to clean up the wreckage if I do that, and Gary will be back next week and all will be well. I want to start this morning with this, if you know what that is. Kind of hard to see. Uh, Let me put it in motion real quick, and I'll kind of talk while this is going on. This is what's called murmuration. There's a new word for you probably. Murmuration is a flock of a very specific evil black-hearted little bird called a starling, the British starling. And what you're looking at is about seven to 10,000 British starlings that fly. And all the starling knows besides evil in its heart is fly close to my friend, but don't hit my friend. And so what you get is you get these fascinating patterns that are, I find, really disturbing. Most people find them vaguely unsettling to see uh, you can especially imagine if you walked out your house and, am I looking at aliens? Am I looking at, uh, they think maybe this is where the legend of dragons comes from in England, that people saw this and weren't sure what to make of it. But it's unsettling. And I think it's unsettling for three reasons. First off, it's a collection of individuals. It's just, it's just a mass. And there's no leader. The, the starlings aren't following a head starling. They're, they're just going next, and they make these strange... The murmuration is a very unpredictable and unsettling thing. If you've ever been around a mob, uh, there's even been violence, it, mobs are very unsettling. It's, it's like civilization has ended somehow, and the rule of law doesn't apply. It, it's disturbing to see a mob, and I think that's what you're looking at as a flying mob. Secondly, there's no goal. What are they trying to make? I mean, we can teach drones to make things at the Olympics that fly around like that, but the starlings can't figure it out. It's, what are they going to do next? I don't know. Are they coming for me? Are they going to take my child? There's no goal. And then third, as I've mentioned before, the starlings are evil. So that makes them disturbing. So the point of showing you this, and we'll come, you'll see at the end that this will make more sense with the no leader, no goal thing, but... The church is not a starling flock. It's the, we're, we're not a, a murmuration here. And what I want to do today is to stop for a second and consider what are we doing here today. Ephesians 4 is the highlight of the church in the Bible. That's Most people would know that if you read the Bible, Ephesians 4, that's, that's where you find your main doctrine on the church. And in fact, that's what Gary completed last week. And what I want to do today is this old Hebrew thing, which is called to Selah. Which, oh, there's our, yeah. There's, isn't that ugly? That's an ugly bird. We're not going to say law with that. Let's move on. There's the Hebrew word selah. And what selah means is to lift up, to exalt, or to pause and consider. And in fact, you will see in the book of Psalms, the psalmist will write about a topic, how cool God is, how amazing this is. And then it will say selah, that little Hebrew phrase. And you're supposed to stop when you come to that, and think about it for a minute and exalt it, what the topic was. And since Gary finished chapter 4 last week, I thought it would be very appropriate. In fact, the Holy Spirit was really clear with me, and I've learned not to argue with the Holy Spirit. Selah, let's talk about the church for a minute because it's easy to blow past this. And what we do here is worth pausing and thinking about for a minute. So we're going to selah, and we're going to give thanks that we're not starlings, and we're going to beg the question... If we're not a group of starlings, then what are we? Well, we're a church. And here's your, if you're taking notes, the central question for today is, what is a church? And the central answer for that would be 
the church is a unified living body. Now notice the phrase there is is. It doesn't say like. It says is. That would be scriptural. To answer that question, we're going to look at a lot of different scripture, but it's going to be based out of Ephesians 4.16. Let me just uh, read that. Dave read it for us this morning a little earlier, and then uh, we'll pray, and then we'll dig in a little bit. So Ephesians 4, uh, the end of chapter, uh, verse 15 and 16. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Heavenly Father, as we gather before you as your group of people called out, we look at you and how great and how awesome you are. We confess before you that we are small-minded and selfish at times, and we do not love the way we're called to love. Father, we give thanks to you that you hear our prayers and have saved us despite our sin and have cleansed us from sin. You give us your word, you gave us your son, and you give us your Holy Spirit. And Father, it's by your Holy Spirit that I pray this morning that you would illuminate the different groups of texts that we do, that the things we discuss of your holy church, and that, Father, any failings of my studies would be corrected by your Spirit in each one of our hearts. Father, we give thanks to you for this time that we have to gather together in your, your name and freedom and hope, Father, that all that we do this morning would honor and glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know me, we're going to talk about context. Before we can take a look at anything, we've got to take a look at the context. So I'm going to go really fast through the context. So warm up your fingers if you're taking notes, and we're going to kind of do this very quickly. Ephesians is the church at Ephesus, which is right there. And what's interesting about Ephesus, the city itself, is it's a crossroads between everything in the Western kind of Roman Empire and everything to the east that usually doesn't get on maps. But trust me, there were civilizations in China and Ephesians or Ephesus is this great crossroads. It's uh, a port city, lots of money. It's Roman, so it's very pagan. They've got the big temples to the, the different pantheons. And Ephesus was noted for having this giant temple to Diana or Artemis, depending on what language you like to use. But it was a huge, beautiful temple, big library, very cosmopolitan. In fact, it's a lot like uh, Portland, Oregon today, minus craft beer and neckbeards. But otherwise, that's, you're, you're looking at Portland. It's a very similar, very pagan. Uh, strategically speaking, if you wanted to put a Christian church there, that's a smart place to go because it's a crossroads. Anything that starts in Ephesus will get spread east and west throughout the Roman Empire and to parts beyond. Paul's letter to the Ephesian church was written in 62 AD. Uh, it was written from prison. That always puts a little coloring on it when I think about Paul writing this stuff, about how important this is to Paul, that he's writing it in prison. And it was written not to correct something wrong with the Ephesian church. It was written to exalt God, of course, but also had to really remind the Ephesian church about how blessed they are and what a calling we have with your blessings, sort of a rights and responsibilities uh, kind of a combination there. Structurally, the book is broken up, the whole book of Ephesians, into two parts. Chapters 1 through 3, you've probably heard this once or twice already, is about our wealth we have in Christ, all the blessings we have in Christ. And you'll see in Christ, in Christ, in Christ throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's, this is all the amazing things you have. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are kind of the counterpart to that, which is you have a calling. Because you're so blessed, you should be living your life a certain way. And it's got some very practical things about your walk. Wealth and walk. That's a great way to, to think about those two parts of Ephesians. Chapter 4, which we're talking about the church today, also has its own little 
subcontext for just a chapter, and that's the first verse, which is, in light of everything you just read in chapters 1 through 3, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy. Walk. That's live your life. Make your decisions in a manner consistent or worthy of all the blessings that you have. And it's aimed at Christians. This is aimed at us. So this is really important for us to kind of pay attention to. And last week, Gary kind of wrapped up chapter 4 with starting this idea of our walk should be a certain way. And as Christians, we kind of give up a few things. Uh, We give up the right to gossip about one another. We give up the right to get angry with one another. We give up, uh, you know, the ability to post things on Facebook that might not be quite true. Those are things we shouldn't be a part of. Our walk should be consistent with what our blessings are. And then in chapter 4, it it talks about the church, which is where we're going to really land today and start today. And going back, if you're on the notes, we're now going to get into the image of the church and introduces this idea that the church is a body. The church, we are the body with Christ as the head. And this is a big deal because Paul doesn't say the church is like a body. It says we are the body. Physically, literally, the body of Christ. A few verses that are really important that kind of back this up. Ephesians 4.12. You don't need to flip to these. I'll read them for you. For the equipping of the saints, that's us, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Romans 12.5. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. It, singular. Now, again, those verses don't say, you're like a body. It says, you are the body. And that's important because I think once, for me, this was like one of those things that it just really just jumps out at you and slaps you in the face. We get sometimes used to being kind of lazy with our language. We'll discuss this building as the church. I'm going to go down to the church. I've got to go work at the church. That's really inappropriate. This is the church. Us, the people are the church, the body of Christ. And if you don't get that literally understanding, it can give you a very distorted view of what goes on. And you can get frustrated. And I can tell you about people that have gotten frustrated and left this body because they didn't have an understanding of what are we doing here? What is this church? They thought it was one thing, not the body, not the actual unified body. And the body is not, again, an illustration. In the Bible, there's lots of places where Jesus or the writers use illustrations. They'll say, this is like that. Or they'll make a simile or a metaphor that has very specific language. This language is very specific. That's not that. They're saying it's literally the body. And we can break down the verse, but the verse is very straightforward. It literally means a body, a literal unified body. The same way that our bodies are not separate. Well, there are separate. There's parts of us, but it's one whole thing. And that's a big deal. Because it's amazing what our bodies can do. And if we run with this idea of the implications of being a body, if you think about some of the things bodies can do, up in the far left there, if you combine incredible lungs with incredible heart, with incredible blood supply and technique, you can be the fastest thing in the water. If you combine the ability to see texture and to look at the bigger picture with using little pieces of thread and technique, 
you can take thread and turn it into an amazing display. A body can have an ear that can hear perfect pitch, have perfect muscle control on a bow, and feel the way that wood and fibers resonate and just make amazing music. A welder can use his body to see, touch, feel, and even smell the physics of how metal can connect a metal with heat. A teacher has to be able to use their body to communicate. Body language can put people at ease. You can freak out little kids. You can draw little kids in and creatively express things to them. A driver has to have a combination of foot, eye, hand, and kind of what we call the butt dyno, but you have to feel what's going on with a car in order to control it. An artist can take, make something out of nothing using their mind and their eye and the forms to express an idea that didn't exist before, all with a body. A body can do amazing, beautiful things when it functions in unity. And we can observe that. We can express that and see that. And that's what a church is. A church is a body. And a church can do amazing, beautiful things when it functions as a whole. If all the parts acting together and all the parts are being together, as Dave pointed out this morning, to function, you have to be together. I can't catch a baseball if my arm is over there and my rest of my body is over here. The late, kind of hard to say that now, the late Billy Graham said, churchgoers are like coals in a fire. When they cling together, they keep the flame aglow. But when they separate, they burn out. Another common saying is you don't have to go to church to be a Christian in the same way you don't have to go to your house to be married. But in both cases, you will have really terrible relationships. I think Dave Johnson said that if you're not in church, you will not get free tickets to Mariners games and sit in the front row. So there's a lot of reasons for us all to be together. But the point is, you don't come here to church because we're going to check on you. You come to church because you're part of the body, and the body doesn't function without you all being here and without us doing our part here. I'll give you four other tasks that bodies can do. There we go. So let's say, and this is the implications, if things don't go well. What if the inner ear of the gymnast decides it's going to take a break that day and not provide balance to the gymnast when she's upside down? What if the pilot refueling his helicopter, his eyes decide not to give good depth perception in the middle of the refueling? What if the surgeon's fingers decide to go numb and hard and not move in the middle of the surgery? What happens to the loader when his foot decides to go forward when it's not supposed to? You either have a disaster or an embarrassment, right? Same thing with the grace point. When we function, we can be beautiful, but when we don't do our thing, when individuals don't supply their part or supply something different, it can be an embarrassment thing. And usually when embarrassment, we're talking about a sin. Sin embarrasses our God. Or our church doesn't function right. <laughs> There's another implication that's not so attractive. This is funny. You guys don't know how amazing this is. I get to talk about this today. I don't know if you know what that is, but this is an old enemy. And uh, <laughs> it's a cancer cell. So uh, just, sorry, Judy. I got to just say, this is my friend, Judy Twig, who is here, who is my visiting. Relative. And we're related, distantly found out. Judy was my chemo nurse back when I was uh, afflicted with that bugger. 
And Judy came over to visit today, and it was kind of random. She didn't know I was, she said she'd be here, and I told her, oh, that's the Sunday I'm speaking. But when I was preparing, I didn't realize I was going to use this in a, an example. But obviously, this is kind of meaningful to me. But Judy, thank you for being here today. And Judy's a pretty cool person. Okay. <laughs> and now she's going to talk. No, I get to say something. Our coming together from the very beginning was a God thing. And I just want you to know that when Dr. Bulger, the oncologist, told me that I was going to be treating a young chap, he was from Ireland, with a wife and a small baby. He says, I want you to know I'm, I'm not expecting this young man to make it. Well, God had other yes, plans. Yes, he did. <laughs> God, God is forever all-powerful. That's a warrior right there. Battles this thing. The point this even came up in the... When we don't function as a team, we can, we can do bad things. But we can also become a cancer cell as a church. And I think we all know of churches that have collapsed because they got into infighting. And infighting is like cancer. If it's not dealt with, if it's not responded to, it can, it can harm and it can kill. And there are a lot of, you, can, you know the stories in the paper. You read about them. They're nearby even. Uh, cancer can kill a body. And cancer is cells doing what they're not supposed to do. It's that simple. That's the best definition of cancer. Cells not doing their own thing. Cells being independent. Get that off there. Non-function is bad. Now, if you look at the text, Ephesians, that, that, that little bit of the end of verse 15 and the start of 16, again, as I said, the words are very common, easy to understand words. The grammar is very straightforward. It means exactly what it means. Sometimes you can dig into the words and you get a rich meaning and you can cross-reference it. In this case, it's like powerfully simple and strong. You are a body. If you're a member, you do your part, and the body functions the way that each of us could be a toe or a ligament or a joint. Each part does its part for the body to function. We're also a body that has a purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. A whole bunch of verses in the Bible that talk about 1 Corinthians 10 is probably a great one, do all to the glory of God. Everything is to go back to that. We're a body that has structure. Okay, we're not this big amorphous murmuration. There's structure to the body. If you go through your verses in the Bible, you'll find that there's four offices in the church. The head, Jesus Christ. Okay, Colossians 1.18. Then there's the priesthood. That's you and me. All believers are priests. Revelations 1.6. You do not need to speak to a priest to talk to God. Now that is not common throughout history, but I'm telling you, it's very clear. You have direct access to God. That makes you a priest. That's the biblical definition. You're a representative of Jesus Christ. You are, our, you are a believer priest. That's the priesthood of the believers. You'll see that in our doctrine statements. So, again, you know, that has some implications about how, what we do to represent him. And then there's two other offices that are leadership offices, elders and deacons. Um, you can look up the verses there in Timothy and Titus for each of those. 
But a lot of churches will have elders and deacons or sometimes deacons and elders underneath of them. Biblically, those are equal. They just have a different focus. One focuses on spiritual leadership. That's the elders. One focuses more on practical ways to give mercy to people. That's our deacons. And that's it in the Bible for structure. Now, everything else we have, like chairmen's or pastors, those are convenient or they're ministries for people to exercise their gifts. There's, there are ways to love on the body that we have these other ministries. But Gary, biblically speaking, is an elder. He has the role of the primary teacher and pastor, but he biblically would fit on the, the, the Bible's flowchart as an elder. Now, there's two parts of the church that you'll hear referred to. They'll talk about the universal church and the local church. And they're Kind of simple, but the universal church, which has the same purpose, to glorify God, the universal church is all believers throughout all time in all places. So from the very first believers to the consummation of the age is the universal church. The universal church started on the day of Pentecost and will be consummated. It will end at when we're taken up in rapture, when things come to an end. Uh, There's a lot of references of that. Romans 11 is a good one. Or you could get our doctrinal statement out in the lobby or online, and it goes through about a whole bunch of these references for this on the universal church. Important thing, the universal church is not Israel. Okay? Some congregations have that combined. We don't. Now, we're not saying that we're absolutely right, but I'm saying that we're based on what we know, what we consistently interpret Scripture and consistently apply the rules of interpretation and keep that the same, uh, you come to that conclusion. That's more of a mainline uh, church thing. But the universal church, the important part, it's all believers throughout all time. The local church, we're an expression of the universal church, but we're the local church. Grace Point is fixed in time. We started in 1947 and we'll go until God's done with us. Uh, we're fixed in space. We're here in Ephrata, and we serve the area around that. We have connections in Macau. We have connections in Mexico City, but we're, we're, we're here. And local churches have uh, some things that they do, and you've probably heard this before, but what does a local church do? Well, it does four things. It spells out wife, worship, instruction, fellowship, expression. Okay, we come together to worship God, to hear from the word, to be with each other and enjoy one another, and then we, we express that. We do evangelism, we do ministries, we do things for people. That's uh, probably the best reference for that is Hebrews chapter 10 or anything Acts chapter 2 is good. Membership in a church. There are no limitations. If you're a believer, you're a member of the universal church or of the local church. Okay, some local churches may have requirements, but those are extra biblical. Not necessarily bad, but they're not in the Bible. This is the important part, and I think this is actually a big deal today, um, given our society. Every race is welcome in the church. Every political belief is welcome in the church. Every person of disability, every lifestyle choice, every type of person is welcome in the church. We are not exclusive in any way, shape, or form in the church. We accept Everybody, everybody needs to be in church. Every sinner needs to be in church. And sometimes we like to look at the sin that is not like ours and say, well, yes, I'm not that type of sinner. And they don't. No, everybody, we have no concept of what it meant for Jews to say, hey, Gentiles, you come to church with us. 
That is radical beyond anything we can think of. I can't give you an example in American society of to accept the most unlovely person into the church and welcome them as it was for the Jews to accept us, Gentiles, into the church. It's a big deal. We even invite Yankees fans to be a part of the church. It's no exclusions in here. Star Trek and Star Wars, together, it's fine. Okay, so we're a body. We're a body. We have things we do, right? A body doesn't just sit. A body does. Four things a body does. Four what I call impossible actions of the body, and they're A through D, I think. I go away from numbers. First one is there's a controlling uh, aspect of this. So if all of our actions are going to be follow two rules. You probably know what those commands are. Look there in Matthew chapter 22. This is Jesus speaking. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So everything we do as a body, as a church, is to love God and to love others. All the time. Every action. That's impossible. Every action to do that perfectly. We have two ordinances to observe. This is B on your notes. We are to observe the Lord's Supper where we commune together to remember what Jesus Christ has done, 1 Corinthians 11. And we are to observe together believer baptism, Matthew 28, the public expression of what went on on the inside of us when we became a believer. That's impossible to do without the Holy Spirit. C on your notes is our actions. And I tried to kind of, if you go, again, chapter 4 of Ephesians is pretty clear. The actions are to avoid sin. We should make sure our actions aren't sinful. Because in our human condition, that's impossible to do. But we're called to do that. That's called sanctification, which is the, the middle part, you knew I was going there, of being saved where right now we're saved every day from sin. Sin doesn't have power over us. Unfortunately, our, our will isn't always there with that. But I'm supposed to be a little better today than I was yesterday at avoiding sin. So our salvation, justified in the past, that saved us from the penalty. We will not be held, we won't be penalized for our sin. And then in the future, we'll be glorified where sin won't even be a presence. It'll be gone forever But in the middle, we're struggling. We're trying to be better. We're trying to grow and mature as individuals. And in fact, as a church, as a body, we are to grow and be closer to Jesus Christ tomorrow than we are today. That's sanctification and that's our walk. That's when Paul talks about our walk. Live the walk in a manner worthy. That's where he's at. Sin dishonors God and embarrasses God. I think of it, I like the phrase embarrassment. Like if I did something dumb, my dad would be embarrassed by that. I don't want to embarrass my dad. The more full I am of Jesus, the less sin has a hold over me in my life. Some people say they've never sinned. Those people are liars. And lying's a sin. So there you have it. D, all of our actions are to be in unity and in harmony. This is one we also struggle with. We are baptized into the Spirit in one body. Jesus Christ, when he saved us, he created us as a new person, and we are created in harmony. We are created in unity. If you look at that in just up the page there in Ephesians, it says, 
are, we're called to preserve the unity in the faith and the bond of peace. Preserve what Christ already did. We didn't create the unity. Jesus did. Now, we can break the unity. That can happen. Four impossible actions. Absolutely impossible to do without Jesus Christ. However, and this is such a total God thing, the way they do this, you're given these four impossible tasks. But God gives you the power to go with it, which is you're empowered by spiritual gifts. And what's the next little bit on your notes there? You are empowered with God's power in order to accomplish those four things. Now, spiritual gifts is a long subject, and I, you know, there's four spots in Scripture that you can look up. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. And you can look at the list of, there's 18 to 22, depending on what scholar you like to read. There's two dozen spiritual gifts, of which maybe six or eight were only used when they founded the church back in the day. That's good to study. We have a lot of stuff that you can help you on that. We've taught classes on it. There are surveys you can take. I don't know. If, if you're curious, if you're not sure what your gift is, if you're not sure how you're serving, you should definitely pursue that. The point is, you're given God's power to accomplish God's task, but all the spiritual gifts are for one thing, the building up of the church, the body. They're not given to you because you're awesome. You are awesome, and you're lovely people and all that, and you deserve it, but that's not really why God gave them to you. He gave them to you because he loves you, and he wants you to build up the church. And really, if we think about it, we really didn't deserve those gifts, did we? No, we're, we're like starlings. We're black-hearted little things, but God loves us. And he wants us to do these impossible things, and he gives us the power to do it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so that's it. That's an overview of the church. That's chapter 4 of Ephesians. And when you get into this, when we come to the end of it, we just talk about application. Okay, so we look at the Scripture. What do we do about it? So what? That's my favorite question. Anytime you teach something, it's good to ask, so what? Glad you asked that question. It's a really good question to ask this morning. The so what is anytime you encounter the word, it should impact your heart and it should change your behavior. It should sanctify you just a little bit. And you should wrestle with the passage. And what the, there's a danger in standing in this holy little spot here because it's not my role to tell you how to apply Scripture in your life. That's not appropriate. And at Grace Point, we don't do that. We might give you examples in fact, I'm pretty, you know, I'll say, hey, this, I wrestled with this. This is what I learned about it. Maybe you should think about it. And that's to inspire you to think about it yourself. But you need to wrestle with the, the Scripture because here's the thing that I think you come down to it. The application is up to you. You've heard your body. You've heard that you're part of the body and that you're a joint in the body. And I think the question is for all of us, are we doing our part? Are we doing our part? Are we fulfilling our role in the body? Because... We are not the Rotary Club here. We are not individuals. We are interdependent. We are not a flock. We are a family. We are not a herd. We're a hominid. These are getting pretty old, I know, but I'm going to keep going. We're not property. This is not a property, the church. We are the personification of Jesus Christ. We're not a collection of individuals. We are the corpus, the body of Christ. We're not an institution we're an entity. We're not a tribe that's against other tribes. We're a team, and we're part of the big universal team. We're not a crowd. We're a community. We're not a club. 
We are a congregation. We are not the elite. We are the embodiment of God. We're not a band. We are a being. We are not a bunch. We are a body. We are not an organization. We are an organism. That's what we are as a church. And we are definitely not a murmuration of starlings. So, while it is not appropriate for me to tell you how to apply the Scripture individually, I am an elder and I am the church chairman. And it is appropriate for elders and deacons to talk about how to apply this scripturally corporately. How do we as a church apply this piece of Scripture? We don't want to be that scary, weird, amorphous blob of starlings flying around because we're not that. We're a unified living body. We don't want to look like that. So the elders and the deacons got together in January to really think about this. We're studying Ephesians, talking about the church, and it's something that we haven't done much of intentionally before. We've been doing this. But what we want to do is we want to set some goals for the church, five-year goals for Grace Point Church as a local church. And we worked on that in January, and we've been refining it ever since. And these are the kind of goals that you never really get perfectly worded. You kind of get what we're going to work on, and it'll kind of adjust, and we'll get better words as time goes on. But it's time to share it with you. It's time to, to set the marker in the ground saying this is where we're going. That is an appropriate leadership function. So what I want to share with you, I'm very excited to do this today, is to share you the, the five goals that the, we have as leaders for Grace Point Church based on Ephesians chapter 4 and based on our understanding of the word and based on what we've said our mission statement is for the church, which is also pretty biblical. So these are on the back of your notes. If you were taking notes, uh, you might want to flip it over now and you can kind of read through these. These are all stuff that we're going to work on together, which means if you've got a better way to word this, please let one of the elders know. We'll kind of word it a little bit. If you've got questions, definitely ask us about it as we go through. Goal one, this will be overseen by the global outreach team, is to increase our interaction with and support of Grace Point Connected Churches and missions starting now. That means there's little sub-goals, little objectives. We're going to increase our financial support. We are going to start attending worship services intentionally where we'll go and bless another church or be blessed by another church on a Sunday morning. We will be sending delegations from Grace Point once a year to our connected missionaries. And we're going to start with the Bjorgans down in Mexico this year or maybe this year into next year. Kind of, We're working on that. That's goal one. Goal two. Uh, Russ Fah and Bill Carell are going to be shepherding this one. We're going to renew our life groups with a vision for outreach and growth starting next year with two little subgroups where we're going to um, create new life groups and we're going to create a ministry to connect new people into life groups and what's going on with life groups. Goal three. This one I've probably got a little bit of excitement and passion about. We're going to start the process for building the new Grace Point facility on our land Starting next year, we're not going to build next year. We're going to start gathering money, design work, and get ready to build next year. This is kind of an important look at number two in the sub-goals. We're going to need a group to shepherd this. It's going to need to be six to eight, maybe eight to ten. But the elders and the deacons feel very strongly that the future of the church should be most involved with the future of the church. No one over the age of 45. Well, one person over 45. And we'll probably, you know, it's 46, we might give you a pass. But... The idea being young people, that's young now, um, 
need to be the ones leading this ministry because they're the ones that are going to live in this new church. Dave Gossett, Dave Johnson are going to be shepherding that. Uh, you'll start seeing our property in front of you a lot more as we get ready for this. Goal four, uh, Keevan and I are going to work on this one and shepherd it. It's create a culture of discipleship intentionally uh, to grow one another in the Christian life. Uh, the idea being that all of us as Christians are called to be discipling one another or be discipled by someone, and that every leader in the church, every elder and every deacon is going to be working on basically training their replacement whenever that takes place, starting now. And we want to have that in place by 2020. Goal five is we want to have um, five evangelistic ministries going on every year by 2021. Uh, Gary and I, and that's going to really affect every ministry, but we want to continue equipping you with outreach and evangelism. We want to sponsor activities for people, both for youth and in the community, and we're going to start a Spanish language service. We need to be a part of what our community is, and our community is not exclusively English-speaking. Five goals. Impossible goals without the Holy Spirit. And what's exciting about impossible goals is that it takes everyone to accomplish things. Everybody's going to be involved in this. Every one of you will have the opportunity to join either a new ministry or an existing ministry. It's going to take everyone's creativity. It's going to take energy. It's going to take commitment. And the elders and deacons are up for this. But the thing that I think, besides getting all of us together, when it's an impossible goal, or certainly five impossible things, we don't get the credit when they get done. You can't say, oh, look at that, what we did to get. No, we can just point one direction. A group of 150, 250 people getting together to do impossible tasks with the Holy Spirit, giving God the credit on the way is an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing a body can accomplish when the body functions together. So exciting things are going on at Grace Point. There's, and those are five cool goals. We have a lot of other things. All of our existing ministries are doing their thing. And there's some new ones that will be rolling out you're going to hear about soon. So sum up this whole thing real quickly. Don't trust starlings. Be the body, which means do your part as a joint in the body, and that you and I and all of us have a role to play in the body. And the future looks pretty darn good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend with your word. We thank you for giving us your word in a language you can understand and being able to hold this in our hands without fear of arrest or of persecution. And Father, we recognize that all these blessings come directly from you and that while we don't deserve them, out of your great love and out of your son's sacrifice, we are clean before your eyes and therefore we are worthy in your eyes. Father, as we finish this time of instruction and close out a time of just worship of you, I pray that your spirit would move in each one of us and we would all be participants in worship this morning rather than witnesses. Father, we thank you for this time and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.